Hey friends, this is Holly Goodman, and you're listening to Isaac's Autism Wild podcast, where we focus on topics related to raising loved ones touched by autism and its impact on relationships and family. I'll be sharing some of my personal parenting experiences, raising my son Isaac, who passed away in 2007, as well as an entirely different parenting experience as I now raise my son Caleb, who never ceases to blow my mind with his beautiful autism perspectives. So grab a drink and join me as I interview this week's group of exceptional autism parents. Welcome to another Isaac's Autism Wild podcast. Today, I have a group of parents joining me and we are talking about vaccination schedules. I thought it was probably a good time to have this particular podcast because uh, we are still wrapping up COVID and vaccinations are now, COVID vaccinations are available to all individuals in the state of Washington. And you see a lot of debates online about whether or not people are for it or against it. And when it comes to vaccinations, uh, it's a topic that is pretty commonplace and can be very highly debated in our special needs population. Within, you know, there was a lot of conversation early on about the risk that vaccines had in terms of causing autism or epigenetically triggering certain genes to activate that then caused regression and the presence of autism spectrum disorder characteristics. So I thought, Holly, let's go ahead and put it out there. And we're talking today specifically about vaccination schedules. And um, first and foremost, because I have a diverse group of parents joining me tonight, um, I'm just kind of curious because I didn't ask before we hit the record button because I thought we could just let it roll out organically where everybody feels when it comes to vaccination schedules. So Taylor, um, you're joining me today. Thanks for coming back. I know you always are concerned and think you don't have wonderful things to offer us, but you always Always are very enlightening. So, can I ask a couple questions? Because Taylor, you yourself are a self advocate. You were diagnosed with autism when you were younger, and you also now are the mother of an adorable young lady. Who is she in the first grade now? She's in the second. So this coming fall, she'll be in the third. Oh my goodness, time is flying, Taylor. I just remember when she was in kindergarten. And so I'm curious for you is, um, number one, as a self-advocate, how do you feel about vaccines in general? Well, I am kind of pro-choice. If you want to get them, I am all for it. If you don't want to get them, I'm all for it. I'm kind of the same as you. As long as people aren't disrespecting one another, that is, at the end of the day, that's my my most concern is because I think each parent has their own deep gut feeling on what, you know, what's best for their kid. And, you know, sometimes those gut feelings, sometimes those override um, doctor decisions. The only thing that, the only thing that irks me about vaccination, um, like uh, the only thing that irks me about extreme anti-vaxxers, and I'm talking about extreme, extreme, is when they treat people who got autism and were vaccinated like a, like a plague. I've just seen some very, you know, and maybe. So you feel I like took, they're judging you and the fact that your autism was maybe somehow caused yes, or okay. my mom, cause my mom did vaccinate me. My mom. Yeah. My mom did vaccinate me. And, uh, but it's just kind of this wording I I've seen. Cause I, I used to be in one of those, you know, supernatural groups on Facebook. Yeah. You know, you know what I'm talking about, crunchy or whatever it's called. Yeah, um, but, <laughs> so, yes, uh, like natural, so, like naturopathic yeah. sort of mom yeah. that are, yeah. Which, which I'm totally into that stuff. I'm just not into 
the extreme aspect of it. Sure. I just, uh, but yeah, I just kind of seen the wording where, you know, just the way they were things about children with autism and vaccines. Sometimes the wording is very awful and can be very yeah. demeaning. Um, yeah. in my opinion. So and that's, it's, yeah, that's the unfortunate thing about some of those groups is it can be very polarizing and it can make you really start having a complex. So yeah. Taylor, do you, are, are you comfortable sharing your age? I, and the only reason why I'm asking is because I think it's really important for people to understand kind of like that, the, the timeline of, you know, what people's thought was. Cause I, I feel like for your age group, um, early on, we didn't know as much about autism. And so vaccines were very highly scrutinized because of when, the onset of autism, you know, the, the characteristics of autism kind of started presenting themselves. It coincided with how vaccines were administered. So are you, are you comfortable sharing your age range just so that people that are listening can put that in perspective? Yes, I am. um, I am 29. I'll hit, I'll hit the dirty 30 in December. So, uh, I feel like we need to have a big celebration for your 30. Um, uh, I, on the other hand, I'm getting to my mid forties and I'm like, Oh, Taylor, you're so young. So yes. And that's the thing, Taylor. I, I think that you're absolutely right. I think because again, in that age range, people were trying to figure out like, you know, the cause of autism and is there one single thing that we can trace it back to and vaccines became that target or that focus for a while. And so what I'm hearing you say is that your mom felt like she was being criticized because she had vaccinated you on the regular schedule and then went on to be diagnosed with autism. My mom didn't care about people's opinions. That's a different thing. It was more me that cared because uh, I'm I'm seeing these opinions. I'm seeing these opinions more today than I did when I was younger. Okay. Um, crazy? uh, Yeah, it is. So, but keep in mind my family, I do especially on the mom's side, my mom's side of the family has a lot of them. I don't want to say mental health issues, but you know, my cousin, Johnny, um, he had, I don't know what he had, but he had, he was, um, he was special needs. And, uh, unfortunately he was in Eastern hospital state hospital and passed away when I was young. And back then when, you know, people with special needs passed away in those places like Eastern state hospital and stuff like that, they were always treated the best in my opinion. So, and those facilities have come so far. Um, yeah, they have. And yeah, I'm, I'm actually a big fan of Eastern state, the, um, Lakeland village, because if you actually spend any time out there and look at their program, it's pretty spectacular. So, and again, um, so far over the past 25 years. Yeah. So, Yeah. And actually one of the really um, early on people that was part of my life was my ex-husband's aunt Grace. And she was, when I started forming a strong relationship with her, she was in her eighties and she had a daughter late in life and she was in her forties and uh, Linda had down syndrome and they chose. And in a very um, different time of the world that they were not going to institutionalize or put their child up for adoption because they had always wanted to have a child. And when Linda was born, they found out she had down syndrome. And so they were not going, they refused to put her in an institution or put her up for adoption. And so they raised her. And some of the stories that aunt Grace shared with me, because when Isaac was then diagnosed with autism, she reached out and said, you know, sweetie, I'm here for you. And even then, you know, Isaac would be 18 this year. And I didn't know anyone at that time that 
had a child with special needs or autism. And so she was really my lifeline. I mean, an 80 year old woman was my lifeline because she could just, you know, she let me cry and vent and um, be sad and mourn. And she understood it. But also then when she shared like her life, you know, they early on got a, a camper. I'm sorry. It was a, it was an RV because do you know, back in those days, they would not allow them to rent a hotel room when they would go traveling because she was disabled and they didn't want her in the hotel, making people feel uncomfortable. So they rented an R or they bought an RV, um, like an Airstream or something like that. And, um, they use that to do their vacations and they would make notes along their way of, um, camp places that were accepting and supportive of Linda and um, that was how they planned their vacations and stuff. And so things have just gone, have come a long way. Um, and so it's just, you know, this topic of vaccines is just really unfortunate because, you know, it has been a hot topic for a long time and people still have a lot of very strong feelings about vaccinations. And I think we're seeing it a lot more now because of the, con you know, the topic of COVID. And so it kind of, it's like a resurgence of, um, you know, some anti-vaccine um, perspectives, but I'm going to move over. And one more question for you, Taylor, before I move on to my next guest, Taylor, um, is your daughter, is she vaccinated according to the standard schedule or did you do any modifications to the vaccine schedule for her? She is, uh, she is on track with her vaccinations. Yes. Okay. So you just did the standard vaccination schedule. Yes. And at no point did you ever have any concerns in terms of, of, of administering the schedule as, as recommended by the doctors? Um, no, I didn't really have an issue um, with these with these vaccinations, because in my opinion, these vaccinations have been around for a, a while. So yeah. I was really comfortable in knowing that we, they were OK, you know, so sure. and yeah. so it just it, so I just when we haven't had much issues at all. So just, um, you know, and I firmly believe anything like disability along my family, it's with my family, it's always been genetics. Like I have, like I said, I have my, my uncle, my cousin, um, I, I believe my grandma Joyce, who my daughter's middle name is after she had a disability too, but, um, we never really knew God, I never got an idea of it was because, uh, because when my grandma was born, you got to think that was the shoot. That was forties. Thirties, mm -hmm. I mean, of course, disabilities. They didn't even know, no, and nobody was. talked about it. No one talked about it. I'm going to move over to my friend Maria. Maria, um, and again, this is actually kind of fun because I didn't pre-check with everybody to see, you know, what where people were on, you know, vaccination schedules. So I'm interested to hear from my friend Maria on kind of how you guys look at the vaccines and the schedules. So um, with my first kiddo, I honestly felt like. I was 23 with my first one and I didn't put any energy or focus into vaccines. I just went ahead and vaccined on schedule. I didn't know that there was even controversy behind it. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, like I grew up in a generation where you just do what they tell you, you say, okay. And you move on. Doctor knows best. Yeah. Yeah. It never even blinked an eye. Um, and then with all of our other kids, we just went on schedule. Um, and to be honest, there's just other things I needed to investigate and to focus my energy on where these are proven successful. Let's just stick to schedule as one less decision to kind of have to make. Yes. Um, I know that sounds kind of lazy, but with our high needs, it's just, there's other things that I chose to dive deep into investigating and vaccines just weren't one of them. Yeah. Um, but 
you know, my parents, both of them were military. We just kind of go with, with the flow. It's, this is what you do. This is the expectation. And you just follow through with it. Um, but an interesting transition has occurred with vaccines. In fact, um, Josiah just went for his, uh, a doctor's appointment. And they said that he was ready for the vaccines, but he wasn't um, because he requires quite a bit of staff involved. So we chose not to get him his latest vaccines before going into high school until we could like do the whole pre-teaching and going through the explanation of it, but then also making sure that the clinical staff was aware and had proper staff involved because it does require more than just two people. (laughs) So it takes, so I guess how many people does it do take follow three? it on? Well, three years ago with his last blood draw, it took six people. Okay. I was going to say, I would just want to put in perspective when we're not talking about, you know, like even three people, we're talking about a significant number of people oh, to support him to get yes, it took, or blood yeah. draws. Yeah. It took six people, like one person per limb and then one kind of nurturing and coaching and then one actually administering the procedures. Um, so I would say, yes, we generally follow it until now when it's more of a safety factor for others than it is for anti-safe vaccines is where we're at. Yeah. Yeah. And you guys are not, you don't, Josiah is a different cat in the sense that you have done genetic testing with Josiah. So he has some, he has his autism um, is not indicative of a vaccine injury or anything like that because genetic, oh, no. yeah. So would you mind just talking a little bit about that just in terms of yeah. the difference? So when he was younger, we, uh, my husband had taken him to a genetic counselor and they ran some tests and they found out he actually has a gene deformation, which is where his disability stems from. Um, he's one of two in the country that has it and it's more predominant over in Eastern Europe. So we don't really know how it made its way to Spokane. (laughs) It's so bizarre, (laughs) but also I don't know how many people actually have genetic testing. Like there could be more, but not tested for it, you know? So that's kind of the hard spot of is his genetic gene deformation causing the autism or does it mirror autistic traits? Like we're trying to figure all that kind of correlations out. Yeah. And actually that the reason why I wanted to bring that up is because an interesting kind of, um, anomaly, well, I don't want to say it's an anomaly, but a kind of a, an epiphany for me is, is that more when Josiah was younger and when Isaac was younger, um, they weren't doing genetic testing. You really had to have a good reason to have, be able to justify the genetic counseling in order to figure things out. Um, because it's, it is very expensive. And so a lot of insurance companies are not interested in it now because of the rate of autism and just trying to get better understanding of autism and like the genetic factors, more and more families are being offered genetic um, counseling, because again, we're trying to get more information about which genes and what's happening. Why is autism on the rise so that we can just get better information. And what's interesting about this Maria is, is that we are finding that when we do the genetic testing on a lot of our kids that quote unquote, meet the criteria for an autism spectrum disorder. So understand to meet the criteria for an autism spectrum disorder, you have to have obviously a communication deficit. You have to have that interpersonal relationship deficit. And then there has to be presence of obsessive, restrictive, and repetitive behaviors. Well, what we're finding is, is that once we then undergo genetic testing, we actually find out that there's actually genetic deformations, whether they have a deleted X, Y, or Z anomaly that then puts them in the category of a rare disorder. So they have found, you know, the gene or the correlation that now they're one of say, you know, 12, 
1,200 in the country that have this, you know, that has been found to have this genetic anomaly. But what's interesting is with some of these rare conditions and like what you're saying, this deformation is, is that 90 over 90% or 80% in some cases, depending on which one it is, um, those kids also then go on to meet the criteria of an autism spectrum disorder. Mm-hmm. Right. For um, Josiah, and I don't know, I'm not as I'm not familiar with um, his particular genetic deformation and, and what the prevalency rate of autism is. Are 100 percent of those kids, do they also meet the criteria for autism? Is it 90 percent? Is it 80 percent? But it's incredible when you start looking at these rare disorders, the high likelihood that they will go on to also then meet the genet the the criteria for an autism spectrum disorder. So it's interesting in that we're getting more information, but then it's kind of like, oh, okay. So when we talk about the genetic factor, there it is. But a lot of our older kids didn't have the benefit of it. Like, you know, for instance, Cooper, he's just turned 18 um, last week. He hasn't had genetic testing. You know, Isaac didn't have genetic, we did some genetic testing after he passed away, but it wasn't something that was just mainstream where it's now becoming a little bit more mainstream. So whether you had the vaccines or not, it wouldn't have mattered. That's really the genetic anomaly that they have then found is actually the link and what then and how they comorbidly present at the same time. Yeah. And so his is, he has a bunch of extra X chromosomes and partially along the way too, you learn that if it mirrors autism, then you definitely go with that diagnosis because there are supports in place and therapies in place where if he was just diagnosed with his gene deformation, there would be no services, there would be no support, but because of the autism or mirroring autism, we are able to put that label on and get all the structures in place. So I think that's part of it too, is properly identifying, but you can't identify if it's and, or, Yes. Does it the gene deformation and autism or is autism a part of that because of the extra X chromosomes? And the other gal that has it, I think she has autism, but I'm going to be honest, I don't know. But what we've learned about her is that she actually just um, has like muscle deterioration. So she ends up in a, she, the one in Seattle is in a wheelchair, but we haven't dove, like I said, much into anything else other than the autism because it's smacking us in the face. So we're just going to focus on that. Like girl, I (laughs) get you all honesty to be transparent. (laughs) Well, and that's the thing, you know, is the whole, you know, it's, it's one of those things where did it, you know, which came first, the chicken or the egg, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. At the end of the day, we know that the interventions that support individuals with autism are beneficial and he's making um, improvements in some areas. You have regressions and others just like autism, right? I mean, it's no different. Um, We have our successes, we have our challenges. And so at the end of the day, you know, whatever. So, um, well, thank you for sharing. I'm going to come back to you in a minute. I'm going to move over to my next guest, Michelle, Michelle, thank you for joining me. This is actually your first podcast with us. So I'm so excited that you took time out of your Friday to join us on this particular topic. And now, first and foremost, have we actually met in person? Um, no, I don't I think, say, so. I don't think we have. So I'm just, I this is even so. better. So we are doing a good job at putting it out there for people to join us for, um, for these types of things. Now, could you, would you mind introducing yourself and just giving us a little bit of background about your kiddo and why we're, we're on this podcast together today? All right. Um, my name is Michelle and I live technically in Hauser, but we're looking at moving to Spokane. Um, my daughter is 13. Um, she has ASD and she was diagnosed at about seven because she was fairly 
well, you know, able to control her symptoms. So she wasn't really diagnosed till later. That's actually <laughs> interesting. I have said numerous times that, um, in fact, I was just doing a training yesterday and I always like to make sure I get on my soapbox moment and say that while the CDC tells us that more boys are affected than girls, I actually do not agree. And many researchers across the, actually in the world also agree that we are not accurately studying autism in females because we believe that they're, we're, number one, we're using boy criteria to to assess girls, which we know that male brains and female brains are so different because obviously a lot of us are married and we would definitely say that, yes, how we think and how our spouses think is totally different. Um, so anyway, I want to make sure that we're just talking a little bit about that. What we're finding is, is that we believe that more girls are actually on the autism spectrum, but they have a more natural ability of being able to observe their peers and blend. And so they can go longer by masking some of their autism characteristics because they observe and they just imitate what they're seeing. And so that allows them to fly under the radar longer. And so right now, two things are happening. Number one, they're currently coming up with criteria that's specific to females. And then two, they also are coming up with better criteria to be able to screen girls younger so that we can catch them younger. Cause here's what we're finding. These young ladies that have gone a long time because they're modeling and observing their peers end up with crazy amounts of anxiety because it's exhausting. It is so hard for them to be able to keep up and just, you know, observe and constantly try and blend in with their peers that they end up with just, I mean, obviously anxiety is across the board difficult for all of our loved ones that are impacted by autism, but we find that is actually even higher in these young ladies because they're working so hard to fit in. And so, so it isn't uncommon to find out that they're not getting you know, assessed and diagnosed until they're much older. So I just want to make sure we talk about that a little bit because, you know, if you were unaware of this and if you have a daughter, you're going to be like, amen, I hear this. This is like, yes, yes, you go girl. So I just want to make sure that we're putting it out there that we are um, not alone in our belief that uh, we need to be better about coming up with early criteria to assess young ladies and then also just have an a different set assessment tool for young ladies just in general. So, um, so your daughter was 13 years old and now, um, when it came to vaccines, did you vaccine on a normal schedule or how do you feel about that? Yeah, it was the normal schedule from what I can tell, you know? So, yeah, sure. And did you feel like, um, do you have any regrets or any concerns or none whatsoever that the vaccines are safe? And I mean, I'm also curious how my next round of questions is going to be when I go back through all of my guests is how you feel about the COVID vaccine. Maria kind of touched on it, but I want to just touch on the specific COVID vaccine as well. Yeah. And like most, most everybody said, you know, you followed what the doctor's guidelines were, you know, and I always did that because, you know, I've seen people with polio and I've seen people like where my grandpa almost died from whooping cough as a child, you know, so I was like, all right, we don't need that, you know, so I was full board for having vaccinations against things that were, you know, that are pretty devastating, you know, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So how do you feel about the COVID vaccine now that it's out there and she is of the age where she would be eligible to receive the vaccine? How do you feel about the COVID vaccine? She was asking to get it. So, you know, I, that was interesting. I thought she's pretty like on the scale, she's on the high functioning end, but she's really like, I want to get it because they're around their great grandparents. And I've got the vaccine because I work with children and she finds it beneficial in her mind, even though it's not very popular 
in her school setting, the mm. peers are saying that no way, no how, but you know, she's like, I'm going to do it. So I yeah. want to keep everybody healthy, you know? So, well, and that was actually going to be one of my questions because being in North Idaho, and we know that Idaho has a much different um, policy and viewpoint when it comes to COVID. I was curious to see how that how that plays out. If you are a person that's comfortable with the vaccine, do you feel like there's negativity towards you guys because you opted to do the vaccine? Oh yeah, when I initially got it in January, you know, being an essential worker. Yeah. You get people like, Oh, you know, do you have all these symptoms? Are you, do you have magnetic arms or like, you know, <laughs> stupid things that are like, come on now, you know, it, it is looked down upon. There are people that look down upon it and friends on Facebook that'll say no, you know, yeah. um, but I want to keep everybody safe that I work with. I work with a lot of children and families. I don't want them to get sick or get my grandparents sick or my parents sick, you know, cause I've seen the effects of COVID on people. So with my daughter want to get it, I thought that was really cool. And I'm glad she voiced that. So I'm full game for letting her get it. Yeah. You know? I I agree. It's funny. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about my story because I apparently I'm tend to be the the um more opposite. And, and I just want to go on record by say, I am not an anti-vaxxer, but my experience was, I think what everybody has said here is so true is that, um, you never question your doctors because like we are, you are raised that you respect these people that have this medical knowledge. And if they tell you, this is what you need to do, you, you trust that. So with Isaac, he had an ear infection and we were just getting it cleared up around the time where um, we were moving into that MMR, the next round. I will say that when Isaac was born, he did not have a good start to life. And so he, it just took too long to deliver him. And so it took 37 hours after my water broke. And so when he was born, he was septic. And so he had to be on a lot of high powered antibiotics because he was extremely sick because he had an infection in his blood. And so we, he stayed in the hospital, even after I was dished charge because he was still fighting. This infection was on just a crazy amount of antibiotics. And it was so bad that even when he would like, he would urinate, it just smelled like antibiotics because that was how much antibiotics that they had to give him because he was so sick. So with that being said, we struggled with some ear infections when he was little. And so he was just you know, clearing up an ear infection. And I had taken him into the doctor to have his ear double checked. And they said, yep, looks a little bit good. He still had a little bit of a runny nose. And the doctor said to me while um, we were there, it's like, oh, you know what? He's actually due for his next round of vaccines. Like, let's go ahead and do them while we're here. And I do remember having like this, like, this flutter in my stomach that I was nervous because, you know, he was just getting over an ear infection. He still had a runny nose. And I remember specifically asking the doctor, are you sure that's a good idea? Because he wasn't a hundred percent. He still wasn't what I would consider back to his like pre-sickness condition. And the doctor's like, Oh no. Yeah. I think it's fine. Let's just go ahead and do it. And I will tell you that it's one of my biggest regrets because there was definitely a significant change. And you can see, you know, in, in our videos, you know, our family videos, you know, happy, you know, dancing to music, you know, very engaged. And then just the lights went out after that. And in my mind, I've always struggled with that because I felt guilty because, you know, I should have just said, no, it wasn't that. And he had been vaccinated up until that 15 month um, range, but I had always felt very guilty because if I had just trusted my gut and just told the doctor, no, let's just give it a couple more weeks and let's just let him get healthy and I'll just bring him back in. Could things have changed? 
I will be the first and foremost to say that genetic um, factors definitely are in our family because looking back, you know, my ex-husband's oldest brother definitely meets the criteria of a Sheldon Cooper, very high functioning. Um, but just sometimes you're just like, damn, like, where's the common sense. Right. And just, you know, him, his struggles of just fitting in his whole life. And so anyway, so with that being said, genetic correlation is definitely there. So after Isaac was diagnosed with Tyler and he's operating in the background. So if you hear the coffee going, it's because he's making himself a Keurig at the moment. When I had Tyler, cause there's just 11 months between the two of them. I had Tyler on an alternate schedule because I was so afraid that if I didn't do it correctly, or if we didn't space them out, or if he wasn't hundred percent healthy, that like somehow, you know, Tyler would end up having autism as well. And so Tyler was my kiddo where I, didn't give him the MMR. Um, I had him vaccinated for all the important things, um, whipping cough, tetanus, all of the ones that were a concern that were life-threatening that I felt like was the high likelihood that he could get it. And there would be, you know, like a challenge, but for measles, mumps, and rubella, I felt like, you know what, the biggest risk factor to that is adults that are women that are, could become pregnant and catch measles, mumps, and rubella. So I didn't do that one on Tyler and I waited and I only and, and it wasn't tell. So Tyler will tell you, I, I should probably have him come over um, and actually talk on this podcast. Come here, buddy. Let's talk about this because Tyler is now fully vaccinated, but Tyler actually had some negative feelings about this because he once told me, and I don't know if you remember telling me, they used to talk about me in the teacher's lounge at, um, at school because I was the kid, I was the parent that had turned in the exemption paperwork because Tyler was not fully vaccinated. And so he, Ty, you want to talk about that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, they would call me into the office and they would ask me about it because they would try and make it seem like more pressing that I get it. Trying to appeal to Tyler that he should really press having some of the vaccines and stuff. And he would come home and say, mom, you know, like you're the only parent that they're like talking about in the parent teacher lounge because you're because I'm not vaccinated. And of course, too, if there was an outbreak of certain things, they would make sure that he would know that he would be out of school for 30 days. And great. Yeah. Well, he thought it was great. great. But at a certain point, Tyler, you said, mom. Yeah, I just wanted to get the vaccinations just because it was becoming such like a big deal for them. Like because at that age, everything your mom says, you go because you still firmly believe that everything you say is mom still actually correct. Yes. And so you'd be like, well, my mom said that we're not doing that. So we're not doing that. And they'd be like, well, I think that that's a bad decision. It's like, well, you're not my mother. And so that, but then I'd be like, yo, should we just get these vaccines? And mom was like, no, I have a reasoning for it. I was like, okay. And that's what we kind of stuck with for a while. Until he was about in middle school. And then he said, uh, mom, I'm so sick of this. Like every place that we would go, like it would become an issue where his vaccine schedule, his vaccination records. And so Tyler, we went in for a well child visit and he said, give me all the vaccines, give me all the things, like all the stuff I'm supposed to have. Like I want them right now. And that has been, um, Tyler's MO is that, you know what? I trust the medical system. And if everybody else has had it, then I obviously don't have autism. And so when he was in middle school, in fact, um, 
I also was the parent that thought that, you know, Hey, you know, everybody in this world, when in my generation, we all had the chicken pox, like, so what, like just catch the chicken pox. But once Tyler got into middle school, you know, you start realizing that if he was to get the chicken pox at his age, it becomes more and more severe. So he even said, give me the chicken pox vaccine. Um, and yeah. And, but here's, what's weird about this is that now we're going to fast forward to like the day and age of COVID. And well, I will tell you, I also wasn't a big fan of the flu shots. Um, I didn't, you know, I, I felt like if you just got sick every now and again, and it's going to be not pleasant, like your immune system is stronger. And so um, you'll be able to fight off other things. But what's interesting about it is, is that at a certain age, I decided that it was perfectly fine for my children to start making choices about what vaccines that they wanted Tyler. And it was because of Tyler. Cause Tyler's just like, I'm so sick of this. Like, I'm so tired of this. I just want all the vaccines so that like people don't question me anymore. And I was like, cool. But yet, um, when it came to the flu shots and Tyler was offered the flu shot, um, Tyler was just like, Nope, I'm not getting the flu shot. I want all the other ones, but I don't want the flu shot. Um, and now when we're talking about COVID, I have one teenager that's like, I'm not going to get the COVID shot. And Tyler is actually one of the ones that's saying, yeah, I'm going to go in and get it. So it's kind of interesting because now as a 17 year old person, you know, he, he's still makes his own decisions and he doesn't choose to get the flu shot, but he's actually a hundred percent on board with going and get the COVID. And why is it that you want to get the COVID vaccine? Well, because with the whole flu shot, I figured everybody's immune system handles the flu different ways, but like it gets stronger if it has to fight certain things off and it'll get used to that. So that's more well-equipped to handle that later on. But what I didn't know is that you can get COVID multiple times. It does not care. <laughs> so he's like, I don't, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. In fact, actually this mom right there is just getting over her COVID. See, there's Maria right there. She's just getting over her COVID. Yeah, so it sounds like it sucks. Yes, exactly. So he's just, she's saying, yes, it does. And so anyway, so there is a point in my life where I, um, you know, did start letting the kids make their own decisions because again, you know, you get to a certain age, you have to make decisions for yourself. Now, with that being said, um, with his little brother, Caleb and his little sister, I did, it wasn't again that I was anti-vaxxer, but I wanted a different schedule because after not quite a year after Isaac passed away, I had Caleb. And so I was determined that, um, I was going to just, and it wasn't that I felt like vaccines cause autism. It's just that I knew at that point more that we have genetic predisposition to autism. And so if I could um, prolong and just move, you know, schedule out Caleb's vaccines and make sure that when he got the vaccines, he was hundred percent healthy, that I was going to be knowing the genetic predisposition, I would, um, at least I wouldn't have that guilt. Like I had done something wrong. So with Caleb, we went with an alternate schedule and I was very lucky that I had an old school doctor that was very supportive of it. And I will tell you, actually, polio was one of the last ones that Caleb got because his doctor's perspective is, is that in terms of eradication, polio is not the most likely one that he's going to come in contact with. And so that was actually one of his latest ones that he had. Um, but sometimes people will tell me still, and that this was something that his school would tell me is that, okay, so you 
you want to vaccinate on your own schedule because you're concerned about autism, but Caleb still has autism. So how'd that work out for you? And I say to them that, you know what, actually I'm okay with my decision because while Caleb is on the autism spectrum, his um, function and ability is much greater than what Isaac's was, right? It's so much fun. Yeah. I and, love that. and that's the thing is, is that, you know, again, all I was doing is number one, making sure that I didn't have the mom guilt that I made a mistake and, you know, overtax his system because, you know, I do think that for some kids, you know, that have they legitimately had a vaccine injury that could have, you know, impacted some of their, you know, um, their abilities to be able to process, you know, like if their body can't metabolize the vaccine and it's not hundred percent healthy and, or we're just overtaxing with too many shots at one time. So, um, but again, with Caleb, a lot of it is, I just didn't want to have that guilt, that fear that I made the mistake or I, in some way, you know, like made his autism more severe. And so he was on an alternate schedule and there was a point where Caleb was just like, um, he is number one, he hates being sick, hates being sick. So when he found out that vaccines keep you healthy, then he at, you know, a younger age decided that I need all of the shots because like, I just want to make sure that I don't get polio. I don't get all the things. Um, I thought polio was a pirate disease when I was young. Yeah. Well, that's just it. He's, you know, yeah, that's, you know, education is important. Right. But he, anyway, but again, I got a lot of um, criticisms because Caleb, you know, still has autism. And I was just like, a lot of it is just being able to know that I did everything that I could to help Caleb be his best self. And if that meant, you know, spacing out and getting a lot of backlash over the years, then I, I was fine with that. And so, like I said, now Caleb is of the age where he's like, he wants all the vaccines, like every single one imaginable because he does not want to get sick because he hates discomfort. And I get that. And so he is one that wants to also do he went, he's ready for the, the COVID vaccine. Caleb chooses to get also the flu shot every year, Caleb. And in part, some of his reason is, is that Caleb is in, um, like resource in elementary school, he was in resource support. And one of his, um, good friends, when we first moved to the school, she was walking on her own with crutches. And then at some point in during school, like she ended up being in a wheelchair hundred percent of the time. And so he's just so concerned about his friend that, you know, when he, you, he did research on, cause he does research on like CNN and Fox news and all the good stuff. When he did research, you know, he, one of the reasons why they advocate people, even healthy people to get the vaccine is because you don't want to transmit. There are some people that cannot be vaccinated because of their immune system. And so he was so worried that he could accidentally bring something and make his friend sick. And she had, she was regressing to the point where she was in a wheelchair he really did it for his friend because he understands that that is one way that you help people stay healthy. So he gets the flu shot every single year. And that is a voluntary choice of his. And I think it's great that he can make those decisions and he's doing it for other people. It's like COVID, you know, you get the COVID shot because like what Michelle is saying, she wants to be no and have confidence that you're not going to inadvertently make your um, older loved ones ill. And so I think that's amazing. So here is my next question is Maria, you kind of alluded to this is that um, you are not against giving um, Josiah his COVID vaccine. You're just going to wait and until you can pre-teach it, provide some support so that he understands what's going on. And then that they have the resources to help administer the shot. Correct. Yes. With Josiah's situation, he isn't able to verbalize if he wants it or not. We have to make those medical decisions for him and you have to outweigh the risk of the shot versus 
the trauma that's involved with receiving the shot in our case. He's younger. He has a really good immune system. You know, he's not on the compromised list. So if he does get it, um, we're confident that recovery is successful, would be successful for him. And the trauma that's involved with the shot, you know, it's really something that weighs on us every time we have to make any sort of medical decision is if it, if it's worth the trauma exposure. Yeah. And the one thing in your family is that you have one of your neurotypical children is he has asthma really bad, doesn't he? Like yeah. severe yeah, really asthma, bad. Severe. severe asthma. And so that's one of those things that you have to consider as well is, is that because Josiah cannot express it, express his, you know, medical um, wishes, you still have to look at the whole family dynamic in terms of, I would be afraid for your son who has severe asthma to get COVID because um, it could actually, I mean, that could be an end game for him and he's, you know, still a teenager. And so, you know, then of course too, it's like that added trauma. It's like, so then is it worth the trauma because you have to try and keep one of your other children safe. And so that changes everything. Right. Yeah. And there's just a lot of variables on the table that, you know, you have to evaluate and weigh and yeah, no, I totally, it's not an easy decision as either yes or no. It's a little more in depth than that for our situation, at least. Yeah. Taylor, how about you? Um, what's your feel on the COVID vaccine? Are you going to have, um, have you gotten vaccinated? I have not gotten vaccinated yet. It's kind of, it's hard to explain. Like I'm not a hundred percent against the COVID vaccine, but I'm not a hundred percent for either. I, I do get the flu shot every year because in my opinion, I think the flu, when I ever, I've gotten the flu multiple times, it was, it was horrible. Like, uh, with the flu, I actually got, whenever I got the flu and I know the stomach bug and the flu, I know they're not the same thing. However, I would get stomach bug like symptoms whenever I got the flu, it always happened. Um, at the same time, it wasn't, I know that sounds strange, but it did. So we get the flu vaccine every year and knock on wood. When we do, we don't end up with a stomach flu. And I know they're two different things. I know they are, but I just, it's just something in my brain that it ironically knock on wood has protected us, uh, our, uh, the flu vaccine, me and Skylar both. And me and her, when we get the flu vaccine, we get it at the same time or we try to, so, so it's, um, less stress. Um, but usually, uh, with Skylar with when she got her flu vaccine, usually, uh, when she, she doesn't like shots or blood draws or anything, um, you know, much, most kids don't care for that. Most young children don't care for that. But, uh, when she got her, we usually, but now when she gets her flu shot, she, or, or any type of shot, she knows, Oh, I'm getting something today. I'm getting a treat. I'm getting, because to me, that that's, it's just worth not the headache. It's not worth the headache. You know, I, I go, if I have to spend five bucks on ice cream or a toy, then screw it, screw that. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. Um, as far as the COVID vaccine goes, obviously she's not approved for it yet. She's only eight. And for me, I don't know. I'm, I'm not, like I said, I'm not hundred percent against it. I'm not, I'm skeptical because I just feel like the COVID vaccine doesn't have the same amount of research as other vaccines. That's just something in my gut feeling that it's just, it's still very new. Um, and science is always evolving. It's always, there's always changes to it. There's always, so I am confident that there's going to be more research with the COVID vaccine. I I'm confident that they'll, it'll get developed more. I'm confident that there'll be more 
it'll be, it'll just develop more better, you know? And, and I, there, and another reason why I'm skeptical is because there's new variants of COVID that this vaccine vaccine may not protect yet. So I just kind of want to wait it, wait, wait, kind of wait it out. I'm still going to get my flu shots and we still mask up. That's our choice. We still mask up everywhere we go because the mask doesn't necessarily bother, bother us. Yeah. We just, so we've been kind of, so I'm just kind of waiting to see how that goes. And I'm also concerned because the COVID vaccine is not FDA approved yet. So whereas other ones are more approved by the FDA, but yeah. like I said, science, science is always changing. It's always evolving. I'm, I'm excited to see what new research will be developed with the co I'm, I'm excited to see how it improves. You know, it's, it's almost like waiting for the Christmas present to open to see what new opportunities are going to happen. You know, I'm very excited to see as winter dra- drags on, you know, I am confident that there's going to be more improvements to the medical aspect of it. But I also am very, you know, when it, when people make their choices of the vaccines, you know, I'm not, I don't, you know, I know people have reasons why they get them and go, don't get them. I just, I, I know that people know their own health. I know I'm confident that people know what's good and what's best for them. I do support the masks thing though. Even with COVID vaccines, I, I like masking up. I don't know why. I know that sounds dumb, but I like the masks. I've even, I even wore them before COVID because, you know, just, I'm just like your son, Caleb. I'm a, except when it comes to COVID, I am afraid of getting sick. In fact, I I'm so afraid. I'm afraid of, I'm mostly afraid of vomit. Um, I don't know if there's a name for that type of phobia, but I'm afraid of vomit. So yeah, I think there actually (laughs) is. There's a, there's a term for everything. What's here's, what's funny about this, Taylor, you made a really good point in that, like how these vaccines have been, um, have been tested. And here's the funny thing about this is that, um, I am vaccinated for COVID and, um, and I actually am fully vaccinated just as an individual, but here's the thing. When I was little, um, there was a lot, the vaccine schedule is a lot different. So probably, you know, definitely we know that kids get a lot more vaccines. And like when I was a child, I mean, I will admit I'm in my mid forties, but here's the funny thing about this. I am a hundred, I am very comfortable with the COVID vaccine and the science and the research, even though it's not FDA approved yet. And the reason why is, is that I look back at the smallpox and even the polio vaccine. Do you know that the era of which those were actually developed, they didn't have all the abilities to test it like they do now scientifically to make sure that it's safe. And yet, of course, I mean, polio and um, smallpox, so horrible. But when you think about the timeline of when the smallpox vaccine came out, do you really think that they had the same amount of scientific knowledge and abilities to test that vaccine out as we do now with this COVID? So I'm kind of on the opposite one where I'm like, you know, I feel very comfortable with the COVID, even though it's not FDA approved versus when I look back and I think, wow, like it had to have been like, I mean, what a, a, like just a leap of faith, I guess, in those days when you're taking some of those vaccines in your body, because they didn't have the ability to test it. Like they are, um, right. Like able to test now, like when you talk about smallpox and polio. And the other thing too, is, is that my husband was in the Navy and he was, um, in places I probably don't even know where he was and he doesn't talk about, and he has had from the military perspective, so many different vaccines that they've put in his body when they would ship them out to various places, they would all line up and they would give his group that's, you know, force group that went out these different vaccines. And he said, I don't even know what was in my body. 
I seriously doubt that those were FDA approved or even really highly research. And of course, you know, he's in great health, like, um, and comparatively he's, you know, in his fifties and I'm in my forties and he's in way better condition than I am. Um, and he, as a firefighter, he has to have a lot of scans and whatnot just to make sure because cancer is very prevalent in firefighters. So he has a lot of scans every year, you know, checking for, you know, colon cancers, lung cancers, blood cancers, all the different things. And he is, um, they say it's just crazy. And what condition he's in. I mean, he, you wouldn't think that he's in his fifties. You think he was actually in his thirties. And so it always makes me so frustrated because I'm like, tag on it. How is it that he's in better shape than I am? And I try hard. I try hard people. I really pay attention to stuff and I scrutinize and I question doctors and he's in way better shape than I am. And, you know, he never had any choice about what vaccines they gave him. So isn't it funny how, like, I'm all like, COVID like, oh yeah, sure. I'll get that vaccine. But like polio and, and like the smallpox, it's like, Ooh, gosh, like, I don't know. I mean, like it's proven to be safe. We've been using them obviously for decades, but it just makes you think about it. Like my threshold for comfort is just, it's talk about silly. Um, Michelle, you're raising your hand that you want to piggyback on this conversation. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was interesting about, you know, all this is, um, my kids go to Lakeland school district and Rathdrum. And it's one of the only places that have never required masks and have not, they've reduced it like one hour a day. That's it. There's no like, and they've been going five days a week, the whole school year. And they, you know, they, they were out about the same as everybody else last year, but they've never required masks and they've never, they really limited just like an hour a day and that's it. So, and their COVID like rates are pretty low. Yeah. Compared to anybody else or Delane, I worked at the Coeur d'Alene schools as a para, but like, you know, in those schools are wearing masks. So it's really interesting how this district and my kids are used to not wearing masks at school because they haven't had to, and they've had very little exposure or very little rates of COVID in their school district. So I don't know, uh, you know, so it's interesting. My daughter wants to get vaccinated, but it's a really, it's a lot slimmer chance, yeah. you know, we've had lower rates in our district. So I, I thought that that was an interesting thing, you know, it is interesting. I still admire that your daughter, your daughter's making that, that choice though. I think it's just really, it's really grown up. It I just is. like that she's advocating for herself and wants to make for a choice for herself for regardless of how I feel or Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's amazing that she's making that choice for her own health and advocating for herself. That's, and that's what I, th- that's what I like about, you know, my, you know, I'm not, see, I'm not gonna, even though I'm not mentally ready there yet, I, I think anybody who wants to go a vaccine and knows their body, go for it, go for it. You do yeah. you, who you, 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 I, I am, I am proud of, I'm proud either way, especially when it comes to a children's choice. She struggled with advocating for herself for many things and she does suffer anxiety, depression, and she'll self-harm. And, you know, she goes through all the hard things, you know, and self-advocating has been something we've been working on and struggling with for years. So, you know, for her to make that decision, I thought was very good. And it's very socially appropriate among peers, you know, like, well, it's not with her peer group, maybe, but like in general to like keep everybody healthy and safe. She doesn't want anybody to get sick. So, you know, there's a lot of different things in that. 
Yes. I, that's actually what I think is the most wonderful thing. Actually, now I'm going to say this on record. And so that way, Anna, Anna is listening to us, um, but she usually turns her cameras off. So she's not distracting to us, which is so sweet, but I was going to say an actual, another good podcast I would love to do is, you know, like that whole self-advocacy. I know Taylor, and I haven't known you your entire life, but just in the couple of years that we've known each other, you are doing so much better about self-advocating and being comfortable. You have been very timid in terms of, you know, just not wanting to put people out or being kind of shy about expressing your opinions and advocating, you know, how you feel. And just in the couple of years I've known you, you've really grown in your ability to self-advocate and you're so positive. And with your daughter too, I think it actually, it would be great having a podcast with our self-advocate um, kiddos and young adults to talk about, you know, you know, why are, why sometimes are we afraid to advocate for ourselves, you know, and what could we be doing better as a society and as parents to help them feel more comfortable advocating for themselves? I mean, today we're talking about advocacy when it comes to making decisions on getting a vaccine and what schedule to do. But I think that would be a fantastic um, podcast to have because again, you know, I think also Taylor, I, I hope you feel like a lot of us are really rallying behind you and wanting to support you and being confident in expressing yourself and your feelings and, and that your opinions and feelings matter. And maybe that's part of why you're advocating more loudly and being open about some of your feelings. But, um, I'm just wanting you to know, I am proud of you, Taylor. And I would love to have the opportunity to, um, you know, just talk to your daughter about just, you know, that at how could we help them feel more confident and, um, supported in advocating for themselves, because it is important that we hear their voice. And if we, as parents and our community don't know how we can support, you know, you guys and them and like you, Taylor, I just really think that would be a great podcast. Yes. Taylor, you were raising your hand. I, uh, could we do a podcast? I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure you've already had a podcast on it, but I feel like since it's still prevalent and I'm, and I'm parent and I'm hearing about it a lot, the topic of bullying, maybe again. Yeah. Yeah. I think bullying is always really, really important um, that we need. I mean, we could cover that 15 times and it wouldn't be enough in my opinion, because it's just really the more that we talk about it, the more as a community, we understand it and what is considered to be. Here's the thing too, is how I, how Caleb feels like he's bullied may not be what um, teachers and admin see as bullying, but if he feels as though it's bullying behavior, then we have to acknowledge that and honor his feelings and help him get to the other side of it. Cause poo-pooing him and saying, Oh, that's not really bullying. Okay. That's, that's not okay. So I think you're absolutely right. We could talk about it again because you know, how they perceive they are being bullied or treated differently may look different than what we are aware of, or we knew as traditional bullying, it looks different now. And so I think you're absolutely right. Anna, I believe will also add that, add that too, to the list is what she says um, in, in our, in our chat. So, yeah, I, so I think that's great. So Michelle, I'm going to put you on my list to then make sure we reach out to, so we can schedule that around your schedule, because if you're game to participate on those topics yeah. and that would be fantastic. It's been wonderful having you guys on my podcast today. I appreciate you guys gave up giving up some of your time so that we could talk about this and we're going to go ahead and wrap up this episode of Isaac's Autism Podcast and we hope that you join us again next time. And that's it for now. If you want to be notified of our next podcast release, be sure to hit subscribe and just remember we're all in this together so find your tribe and hold them tight.